When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I make my own rules, one Banco party at a time. I write history and I read celebrities. I am JMZ. Life is a classroom and I'm here to teach. Welcome back to Historians on Housewives. This is the second part of our exciting conversation with Dr. Emily Baum. So could you share with us how COVID has impacted your research plans and has it caused you to rethink your current project in any way? Yeah, so actually before I started this acupuncture project, I was scheduled to be in China um, doing research on an entirely different project. I was going to be looking into uh, Chinese fortune telling, which is still pretty cool. I, I hope maybe sure. one day I can get back to that. And when I do, I'll come back on your, your podcast. Oh, yes, um, we can talk about uh, so many things. Oh, my God. There's so much astrology. So yeah. many things. Okay. Yeah. Um, but once COVID struck, I could obviously no longer go to China. I actually have no idea when I'll be able to go back to China. And so... I decided to take up a project that was a little bit closer to home while still keeping one foot in China studies. Um, and honestly, it ended up being, I think, a pretty timely decision. Uh, there's so much interest not just in China these days, but also in things like medical quackery, in what counts as science and how doctors make the determinations they do. I mean, there's just so much misinformation circulating these days about covid and there's so much uncertainty that I just think these are questions that are on people's minds. Cool. Okay, well, you're coming back for the next book and the book after that. I mean, at this point, you're going to be our, our um, uh, we need to come up with a title. Because you're you're regular. Actually, yeah, well, you're expert. regular, but uh, yeah, medical expert. Uh, you know, we have a, 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 a what, what, are we, what are we calling Jen Edwards? She's not a super fan. Jen, right. Jen and um, Martina Baldwin are our Michael Rappaport and Jerry O'Connell. They're like our journalists. Okay. Or no, no, she's like our on the scene reporter. I think yeah. we called her. I think yeah. on the Jen scene is part. definitely like on the scene reporting. Okay, Emily's going to be our medical our medical expert and consultant because we are Emily's responsible. Like, Emily's like the Sanjay Gupta. <laughs> Um, Dr. Oz. <laughs> yes, we do responsible reporting here, so we need our medical expert. I so love that. We bring her um, on so bomb, that I can be Dr. like, bomb, Dr. Oz. Yeah, I have a, I have a mole. Can you look at it? You should. I mean, don't just list guests. List, you know, medical, medical expert. She's Why our not? medical humanities expert. That. Yeah. Well, of course, that would make sense. <laughs> of course, that would make sense. People um, are really saying okay. how the sausage is made with this episode. <laughs> they really are. Um, okay. Um, okay. Where should we go next? So, Emily, we see a lot of engagement with, you know, Chinese medicine, acupuncture, Dr. Moon, um, in Orange County and the California coast. Is there 
a reason that we maybe don't see this as much on other franchises on Bravo um, is this is this practice and consumption of Chinese medicine more common on the coast, or is it more widespread than what Bravo would lead us to believe? I think you're definitely right that there tends to be a concentration of QCM clinics on the coast, and this likely maps onto where there was a concentration of Chinese communities in the 19th and 20th centuries, so places like San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York. Um, but actually, uh, if, if we're thinking about like the more contemporary history of Chinese medicine and, and um, acupuncture, uh, the very first state that established a board of oriental medicine was Nevada. Um, and some of the earliest states to begin licensing um, non-physician acupuncturists included states like Florida and Hawaii and, and Montana. So I do think that interest in these practices are growing. I think that it has been aided by the types of licensing regulations that are being approved in each state. Um, and especially as more insurance companies start to recognize complementary and alternative medicine, I think that we're just going to continue to see it grow and spread more and more across the country. Is there a particular reason why Nevada? You know what? I, I don't know. Um, and I don't think there is a particularly good reason that was ever given. There may have just been laxer um, oh, yeah. uh, licensing regulations at the time. This was, this was back in the late 1970s. Do the clinics in some ways map onto where more affluent neighborhoods might be as well? I actually don't know. <laughs> I mean, that would be an interesting project for someone to take up to do like a mapping project. Um, but I, I don't have any data about that. Well, I think that that's another project that someone could like and do. Um, see, we're just trying to make you a U.S. We're making you come home to the U.S. historian that you are. Um, Shannon Bador. I mean, we have to give the attention to Shannon Bador. So there's the episode of Real Housewives of Orange County where Shannon gets cuffed. So can you explain to our, our loyal listeners, what is cuffing and how does it represent this consumption of Chinese medicine? So cuffing is based on the same general principles as acupuncture, the idea that there are these invisible meridians that run through the body, that chi, the vital energy, circulates through these meridians, and that chi or, or blood can become blocked in a certain area. And when this happens, you feel sick or you experience pain. Um, so the idea behind cuffing is you basically place cuffs along um, the meridians at certain places, usually this is done on the back. Uh, then you heat up the cups, which creates pressure, and the pressure that's created facilitates a more regular flow of blood and chi. Um, but I think if we're talking specifically about the United States, um, most people are probably first introduced to cupping at the last Olympic Games, I think, um, when there were all these images of Michael Phelps that were circulating. Mm. He had these round bruises mm -hmm. on his back. And Phelps had gotten cupping done, I believe, to probably relieve soreness from all the training that he had been doing. But after these images went viral, a lot of people became interested in the practice as a way to fix their, their chronic pain. So although cupping has actually been around in, in various cultures, I think there's evidence that it, it wasn't just in early Chinese medicine, but it was uh, in other world regions as well. Um, despite the fact that it's been around for really hundreds of years, I think large scale probably due to Michael Phelps that a lot of people know about in the United States today. Is this, wow. is um, cupping different from like electrical stim that um, like chiropractors would do? Well, there's no electricity that's used in cupping. It's literally mm -hmm. just, you place a physical cup on a part of the body and it heats up and then you can, on the, on the clip on Real Housewives of Orange County, you can see how it, how it works. Uh, the skin basically just gets sucked up into the cup and it breaks the blood vessels, which is what causes the bruising. But there's no electricity involved. Oh, okay. So, Emily, I feel like I should just be your research assistant because I have right. subjected my body to cupping as well. <laughs> 
And let's be honest, acupuncture was so preferable to cupping. Cupping was so painful for me. It took like more than a week for my bruising to go away from the cupping. They say that like part of cupping is also to like reoxygenate the like mm. musculature. Um, and I like could hardly move for days after, oh but I, I like the acupuncture is actually very relaxing. You get like a very like out of body kind of experience where you're like, am I awake? Am I asleep? But I'm like here. It's very interesting. Yeah. But, but yeah, like it's, it's amazing. Like I, I had no idea that, uh, cupping was also a part of early Chinese medicine until I looked at the stuff you sent over before your interview. Yeah, I don't think it's um, quite thought about as being like as canonical as like herbal therapy or moxibustion. Um, but I believe that there is like some archaeological evidence to suggest that it's been around for quite a while. So there's an episode of Real Housewives of Orange County where Shannon takes Vicky to Dr. Moon. Um, can you tell us about this clip and help us unpack it a bit? Yeah, so this is a really interesting clip from the perspective of someone who studies Chinese medicine. Um, so they show Shannon at one point giving her testimonial, and she says that in the past, Dr. Moon has helped her with uh, her emotional problems that she has internalized, and she says, you know, anger is in the liver, resentment in the gallbladder, sadness in the lungs. Um, and that probably sounds like a lot of mumbo jumbo. <laughs> you don't actually understand what she's referencing. Um, but this is a reference to what's known in Chinese medicine as the, as the five phases. And the five phases is uh, kind of difficult to, to explain. It's, it's fairly esoteric, I think. It's a, it's a philosophical system, and it's basically a way of both describing how things change in the universe and how things are related one another. So in, in Chinese medical thought, um, you know, everything is believed to be constantly transforming. Everything has some sort of relation to everything else. The bypasses themselves refer to um, wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. And each of these phases corresponds to various other phenomena in the universe. So things like emotions, and tastes, and smells, and directions, and bodily organs. Um, so within the, the five phases, the phase of wood corresponds to the liver, which also corresponds to the emotion of anger, which is what Shannon was referring to when she said that anger is in the liver. Um, and later in this clip, Dr. Moon also refers to this when he tells Vicky that she's had a lot of anger in her past and that this is hurt her liver. Um, similarly, the, the phase of metal corresponds to the lungs, which also corresponds to the emotion of sadness. Um, so what's interesting about biophases is that it can be used in some ways as a diagnostic tool. So if a person is feeling a lot of anger, then there might be something wrong in the liver, vice versa. Um, so whether or not Shannon was aware of it, she was actually referencing a very complex and long-standing element of Chinese medical philosophy. Okay, now I have a follow-up. Okay. Did you want to be, were you a pre-med major or did you just learn all this through through historical research? Like what, <laughs> you deliver it so well. Um, no, I, I've never taken like pre-med classes, but I've always been fascinated with medicine. And if I could reveal like another <laughs> secret of my own, and, I am and actually time. hoping to take some Chinese medicine classes at a local Chinese Medicine University, um, just so I can understand it better, because it, it is, I feel like you can really only understand Chinese medicine if you're, if you're taught it and you practice it, um, but no, I've never taken any any medical classes, I was not pre-med, this is all just kind of reading. You heard it, an H on H exclusive. Oh my goodness. So, so one of the women that we did birthing class with was getting licensed as a, like a traditional Chinese acupuncturist, which was like really interesting because every week she'd, she'd like come with, well, you know, you should have these herbs and consume them this way. And like, you know, she just kept bringing all of this stuff that she was learning in her classes. And it was 
like the coolest ever. What kind of medicine is Aaron practicing? He's very confusing, and I'm I'm having a hard time following him this season. On yeah, I think Aaron confuses himself, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I I actually looked this up because I was totally perplexed by his explanation about what he does, and it doesn't seem like anyone actually knows what Aaron is doing. Um, but from what I could gather, he seems to be practicing some sort of like vibrational therapy or like frequency healing where he plays sound waves and it's of course supposed to restore your bone health or slow down your aging. I honestly have no idea. <laughs> so he, I mean, but he's not, how did he become this um, vibration therapist? What does he call himself formally? Do we even know? Um, what is he like? Because when they've asked what he does, or he's tried to explain it, it's not just you that's confused, Emily. It's, it's everyone. It's the viewing public. So I don't think he does a very good job of explaining what he does. But he I mean, sure I, likes to talk a lot for someone who doesn't. He sure mansplains a lot for someone who doesn't explain well. He definitely does a lot of mansplaining. I don't think he is particularly intelligent, so that might um, be one of the reasons that he's not expressing himself very clearly, but yeah, I, I, I don't think anyone is quite clear on, on what his profession is well, how he got into it. I thought it was so weird, right? Like, he had some weird device that he put underneath Denise after her surgery that was supposed to, like, help her heal, but, like, I was like, this is super out of context. I have no idea what is going on. Yeah, so from what I, I gathered just reading other interviews with Denise Richards, she gives the analogy of how like a singer singing at a certain frequency can break glass. And so she says, you know, there are sound waves and there are all these frequencies that exist in the world that we can't see but that have an effect on the physical environment. And that's basically what Aaron's doing, that he's managed to like harness these frequencies or these vibrations and um, it's apparently really good for reversing aging or just for your general health. Um, I don't this, imagine there's a lot of scientific evidence. That's what I was going to ask. This is such an academic question. Now, do you think that there's been any um, write-ups in any mer- medical journals about his practice? I mean, are there <laughs> others across the world that subscribe to this? Is this something that he, this uh, a technique that he has perfected? He originated and, I wouldn't say perfected, but... I mean, could we find this in medical journals? He doesn't even know what it's called. We wouldn't even know what to look it up, what search terms to use. Well, apparently NASA is very interested in what he's right. doing. So, but so it's all top secret, so we couldn't know about it anyway. Let's, let's go search under NASA and see, you know, what, what we find. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, there's, there's an interesting line between alternative healing and like conventional healing and you know sometimes things that were once considered alternative can can make their way into mainstream medicine if there is enough scientific and clinical evidence that it works but I just don't think that whatever he is selling has any real viability among scientific professionals today. Do you think that NASA is into Aaron because he's like trained at some point like area 51? No, because like he's a Aaron, space Aaron case. Knows that, Aaron knows the aliens. No, he's a space I, case. I think he does. I mean, I think he does because he, whoa. <laughs> he, 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 I mean, Mauricio needs to get whatever Aaron's on because, I mean, his thought process is just out of, out of here. Uh, <laughs> or does Aaron need what need, does Aaron need what Mauricio has? To bring down, yeah. bring himself down. Yeah. I don't know, but he is, I don't want to say that he's becoming my most least favorite house husband, but because I don't even want to give him the prestige of a, of a house husband, a housewife, you know, there's just something about him. Is it the mansplaining? Is it the sexism? Is it the sexism and the mansplaining? Is it picking fights with girls? Not, I'm sorry, picking fights with women. I don't know why, but he can go. Okay, Jessica and Emily, above. who do you rank least favorite if it was between PK and Aaron question for both of you Aaron is really rubbing me the wrong way I gotta say like at least PK now has like he used to be involved in in these fights with the women but he seems to have learned and I think there was like a scene recently where he actually takes Aaron aside and he says 
like let it go, let the women handle it. So maybe TK has learned from his past mistakes. But Aaron, I agree with Jessica. There's just like so much mansplaining going on. He wants to insert himself into the fight. He doesn't let Denise speak on her own behalf. It's really annoying. If Aaron, if Aaron does an about face like PK did this season, does Aaron's cachet change? Like, like, do does he become more less of a more tolerable? More tolerable? Uh, no. And I just had this punchline come into my head, and this is why. Even if he quit the mansplaining, I must go back to one of these comedy classics of the '90s the Martin Lawrence show where there was a character on there, Tommy, everyone said, you ain't got a job, Tommy. So even if Aaron did a 180 or a 360 <laughs> and came back and mansplained less, I'm like, you don't even have a job. Like, what do you do? What is your practice? What is your, ha- what do you do? And we don't know. Our medical expert doesn't even know what he does. He's really like a, a bimbo, like a male bimbo. It's <laughs> like, like hard to redeem yourself. I love that so much. I've never heard of that. A mimbo. I'm going to. A mimbo. A mimbo. That's pretty good. And that's exactly. He's very, to me, Aaron is very, uh, and I, well, Max is growing up in California, but to me, Aaron is really what I would think about in the movies about California as I was growing up in the John Hughes kind of era in the nineties era. Like, just like, what are you doing? It's too touchy feely. Like what? Just a mimbo. I'm going to go with mimbo. <laughs> I'll go with mimbo and let it go. To be fair. I think that if I didn't have degrees by my name, like most people would think I was also a mimbo, like a Californian mimbo for sure. For sure. <laughs> That's but the, you kind of don't mansplain because you've been raised better. That's true. That's true. I do know when to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about Aaron more, but uh, I know Casey has something really great planned for us. So, so cliffhanger too. Um, I'm going to switch just to a different kind of practice we've seen on the housewives. And that's um, Reiki healing. Um, we saw this um, on Vanderpump Rules. And so where does this technique um, fit into the phenomena of Chinese medicine and alternate healing taking root in America? And let me say, let me say for the record that I have had both Reiki Reiki and Casey and Max and I were all going to go at one point. It was going to be our historians on housewives um, team building. Is that what we're going to call it? Field trip research research process. Right, but, so, but you won't offend us by giving us you won't offend us by giving us your your medical uh, your medical expertise on this your medical so, humanities expertise. Yeah, so unlike acupuncture, I actually have had Reiki done, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting practice. So the the key in in Reiki is actually the Japanese pronunciation of chi, which I had talked about earlier as like this vital energy. Um, so literally, Reiki translates to a kind of spiritual energy. Um, It's not a Chinese practice. It was developed in Japan, I think around the 1920s, eventually made its way to the United States around the time of World War II. And I believe it probably only started to gain a lot of popularity um, around the same time that acupuncture did in the 1970s. This is the time of like the counterculture movement um, when people were looking to the East for inspiration, when they were really questioning the pharmaceutical industrial complex. So it's a relatively new practice. It's not this ancient thing that I think a lot of people think it is. Um, but more specifically, what, what Reiki is, it's um, a, a practice where the pr- practitioner uh, tries to uh, channel his or her own chi uh, into your body as a way to help facilitate the flow of your own chi. And they'll either do this by holding their hands above your body or they'll likely tap you or, or touch you. And um, I had this done once. I have to admit that I was unimpressed with it. If I remember correctly, I fell asleep on the table, and the Reiki practitioner used this as evidence that it had worked. Um, but I, <laughs> I was less convinced by that explanation. Okay, so we just learned two things from this conversation. One, one, that Reiki is actually Japanese in in, in origin and two that it's a recent phenomenon because it's mm-hmm. still is such an wow 
we learned you've distilled so many so many myths. Medical humanities expert and myth buster. Okay, <laughs> you distilled so many myths. Can wow. I, okay. Can I ask if the Japanese notion of chi is the same as the Chinese notion of chi? Yeah. So I mean, all of these concepts had had circulated throughout Asia. Actually, Dr. Moon himself is a Korean practitioner. So um, a lot of these ancient concepts they developed within China, but then spread by a trade um, to Japan, to Korea, to, to Southeast Asia. Um, and so all of them were working within a kind of similar conceptual universe, but took these practices in different directions. That's super cool. I had no idea. So Real Housewives of Orange County uh, went on a meditative retreat in their last <laughs> season with uh, starring Vicki Gumbelson, friend of the show. <laughs> right, friend of the show. Um, and actually, currently, Heather Dubrow has her own series of kind of like weird commercials about her house. Um, and one of them shows that she had a custom gong made for visitors to her new finished mansion so that they can hit her custom gong when they come to her home. And I was wondering if you could speak to these kinds of phenomenons and how they've become kind of this popular form of quote unquote wellness. Uh and how do they actually contribute to maybe a performance of what wellness has become on, on kind of this like California West coast? Yeah. So I think it's actually less about wellness per se and more about a performance of Orientalism, because if you go to China, nobody is actually banging gongs <laughs> and they're certainly not doing it as a form of healthcare. Um, but I think that this probably ties into this really old trope that people in the quote-unquote Orient are somehow more primitive, that they are more in touch with nature, uh, and therefore that if we in the Western world want to escape from our busy lives and kind of hit the reset button, then we have to take a cue from people in the East. Um, but these other things have, have nothing to do with, with Chinese medicine. I really think it's something that wealthy white women like Heather Dubrow do to make themselves feel more in touch with uh, nature or, you know, more in, in touch with the spiritual universe, whatever that, that means to her. So it's kind of less about feeling and I think more about just this uh, a stereotype about what it means to, you know, practice Asian medicine. That's what was so weird to me when they got to their meditation retreat in Arizona and it was like they were all supposed to hit this big gong on their way in as if like I don't understand what that is even supposed to symbolize right um or if like is is like the meditative retreat like a thing in other parts of the world or is this just like this weird wealthy white woman thing in the United States I don't think people tend to go on retreats that much in other parts of the world. I mean, like maybe people would go on like religious pilgrimages and that sort of thing. But like the idea that you're going to take two weeks off from your work and just go and, you know, focus on your own spiritual wellness um, is, is really kind of a, a white, wealthy phenomenon. Is it... Um Sorry, this might be a weird connection. In some way, I kind of almost associate it with like uh, how people used to take like the summer off and go to the Catskills, right? Like that was like, <laughs> you know, it makes them healthy. It keeps year. them healthy, right? Like it's like my wellness. It's a gap year. Yeah. <laughs> it's a gap year. <laughs> but it also assumes that these people have enough disposable income that they can take an extended time off of their work and not have to worry about how they're going to pay for it. Right. right. I think. A lot of people don't have that privilege. Which goes back to, you know, where we begin is where we end, which goes back to, you know, why does it catch on? So why do some of these practices catch on so, so strongly with wealthy women? I mean, their life is so hard. They must take two weeks off and go recharge and retreat and rebalance their energy. Um, someone said to me once, um, you know, because... I will lay on the couch and take my, it is a vapors when you fall, when you 
pass out and they wipe under your nose. Yeah. I mean, there was a time that everything was so overwhelming that I was just like, um, let me just take to the sofa. Let me take to the sofa. And someone said to me, I love to nap. I think naps are a great thing, even though it's a way to avoid stuff. And someone said to me, you realize that people who have real jobs can't just go lay down every time it gets overwhelming. I have a real job. No, you don't. <laughs> and so when I started thinking about the times that like, that's my coping mechanism, I said, you know what? People who actually live and work in the real world, they don't do that. And so because they can't do that, certain things just aren't that big of a deal. Right. You know, in academia, we get so, oh, someone looked at me askew. He, he must not want to be on my committee. He's going to follow. This is going to follow me forever. You know what? Quit thinking. There's too much time on your hands, which goes back to these people going on retreats for two weeks at a time. They have a lot of extra time to to go and have a retreat from their stressful life. There's also, and we're thinking historically, people in the late 19th, early 20th centuries would do something called the rest cure, where they would basically, the doctor would order them to stay in bed for weeks at a time. This was often women, um, Mm -hmm. particularly if women were suffering from, you know, emotional or or mental Mm -hmm. health crises, their doctor would say, you have to go stay in bed. Um, And again, this is another privilege of people who didn't have to work, where they had the help who could, you know, take care Mm -hmm. of domestic labor. Um, So these sorts of things have, have long been around. Okay, so I was just benefiting from a, a long history. My nap therapy it comes from a long history. Oh, no, of still well-to-do people. Still well-to-do people. So how's the pandemic, Emily, changed the flow of your typical work, your TV life? Um, has TV taken on a new significance for you? Well, I basically never leave the house anymore. Um, and because of that, TV has very much become my refuge. I definitely watch way more TV than I have in the past, but I think it's because I can't really go anywhere or see anyone. So, yes, it has taken on new significance for me. So, okay. Now, this actually should be our, our, our next game. We have a game coming up. But this next question I have for you should actually really be also a game. Okay, so this is a two-parter. What have you been watching during the pandemic? Pause. Do you have any recommendations? And three, I, Jessica, the millionaires, has probably watched every single thing on every single platform. So the bonus points is if you can name something that I haven't watched. And I don't know if that's going to be possible for any human being. All right. So let's start with the shot. Let's start with the easy one. What have you been watching during the pandemic? So I have been really into true crime recently. I don't know oh. anyone else here, but like yeah. I just cannot get enough of it. Um, so I can make a couple of recommendations. If uh, some some older, some newer. Um, if you haven't seen The Staircase on Netflix, I amazing. It's amazing. amazing. I've been trying to get Casey to watch it. It's amazing. It is so good. I have never watched it, never even heard about it. Yeah, it's documentary of the author, Michael Peterson. And he starts, like, assuming one thing about this case. I don't want to give it away. And don't Google it. Don't Google it. Um, But you start assuming one thing about this case, and by the end, they have convinced you that, like, everything you thought was totally wrong. Um. Yeah, so for all of these things, I would say don't Google them in advance because it kind of ruins, like, the experience of following along with these, you know, criminal dramas that actually happen to people. I mean, they're all documentaries. Um, I just finished watching I'll Be Gone in the Dark. That's the documentary on the Golden State Killer. Um, It's on HBO Max. I think I've Uh, seen that one. Yeah, so that one is good. I haven't uh, seen I'll Be Gone in the Dark, but I read the book. Very good. Oh, you read the book? Yeah. You liked it? I thought it was okay. Have you heard, um, do you listen to podcasts at all? Uh, Yeah. Are you talking about Stranger in the Window? No, no. That one was okay. Um, Case File? Have you heard Case File? Oh, haven't. I'm Uh, making a note of that right now. It's a show called Case File with an anonymous host. No one knows who he is. It's this Australian guy. It is so good. It's to the so he does um, 
these very long sort of episodic multiple episodes of um, different true crime things. And I would say it was before D'Angelo was caught. Um, he did an uh, like a five-part series on the Golden State Killer. It was so creepy. It was so good to the point where I thought the host was actually the Golden State Killer. It was, oh wow! It, yeah, yeah. I I cannot recommend this show enough. All right, I'm gonna have to check that out. I, I watched or I listened to Stranger in the Window and I started getting nightmares, so I just uh, um, stopped. This, this might not be no, the no, show no. for you, it's but fun. it's so good. <laughs> it is so good, and he goes like almost every um, every single one of the attacks he like goes through very meticulously oh, it's, and it's like really creepy. yeah. It's extremely creepy, but it's so good. Interesting claim to fame. Max and I both grew up in houses near different homes that GSK hit. Yeah. So actually, wow. so actually, like the Dana Point Within murders. Within blocks. Of- the Dana Point murders were like one street over. So like if you just do the loop, um, like around the holidays, you know, and you walk off the big meal, like you walk past the home where the double homicide occurred in Orange County. One of them. Yeah. The Dana Point one. Jessica, you look less amused by this topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not bad. It's just like I've perfected all the other genres. And how come I haven't thought about true crime? I'm thinking of all the ways in which I can waste time watching all of this. But <laughs> I also... Go ahead. No, I just want to say, like, the thing that I like about the true crime like genre is that so much of it centers on huge problems in our criminal justice system. And so it actually ties into a lot of contemporary issues like the incompetence of the police. I mean, it's like, that is just a theme across all of these, um, these documentaries is how the police are either like completely incompetent or blatantly detrimental to the case. Like they will just go after someone who they know is not the right person, but they just need to like wrap this up and it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, part of the reason why GSK was able to get away with it for so long is because no one was talking to each other across County lines. But then if you Mm -hmm. watch like forensic files, it's like the police are the most perfect institution for catching crime. (laughs) Like they always say Horatio, Horatio on CSI Miami. Okay, his his whole thing is is bundled up together nicely. I don't know if this police incompetence of what you speak in the real world, and I say that so sarcastically. Yeah, we can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so sarcastically. Sorry, Max, I cut you off. I no, no, excited. you did it. Any other good? If I can make shows? Like one more. Yes, please, please. Oh yes, please. Or I can make more. I guess I don't know. Well, one one is kind of silly, and then the other is serious. So I'll just make two more. <laughs> so one. They recently did a reboot of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Yeah. It's actually yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I yeah, haven't pretty watched good. it yet. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the other, and um, this is on HBO Max, so you could probably find it elsewhere. It's kind of old, but the Paradise Lost trilogy, have you guys heard of this? I almost watched that the other day. It <laughs> is amazing. So it's a documentary about the West Memphis three case mm-hmm. and again if you don't know what this is just like don't google it because like part of what is so amazing about this documentary is it's in three parts and they just follow along the trajectory of this case over years and years and years and like part of what makes it just so engaging is that you don't know what's going to happen to these people yeah. so i would recommend that emily can i ask you if you are a fellow murderino I don't even know what that is. Oh, not a murderer. Um, um, <laughs> there's a podcast called My Favorite Murder. It's like one of the... Oh. And listeners I, call themselves murderinos. I see. Yeah, that's like Michelle McNamara. Was, um, her stuff was like featured on it all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Okay. They do these like mini episodes where people actually write in with their close encounters with serial killers. Interesting. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Look, oh, my God. <laughs> I got nothing for you. Yeah, now I'm, I got nothing for you. Now I'm I'm thinking of ideas to be like Emily. Do you want to do a serial killer podcast? <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay, so hey, this is going to bring us. This is going to bring us back to uh, our actual podcast, Historians and Housewives, <laughs> <laughs> and our new season two segment called Allegedly. 
And today we are going to engage all the drama with Denise Richards and Charlie Sheen. So some of the current drama on ROHBH is about Denise and if she's, you know, a, a prude or too judgmental when it comes to discussions of the women's romantic lives. Um, and of course, everyone loves. I to- believe the term was a threesome. Yes. I believe the term was a threesome, not romantic lives. Well, and of course, <laughs> so you do have your baby on your lap. So little ears, Jessica. <laughs> little ears. <laughs> I know now. I'm going to be shamed. <laughs> well, and of course, the women like to throw it in Denise's face. Like you were married to Charlie Sheen, and you did star in Wild Things. Um, and so, is there? Anyway, Denise has been able to shelter her children so that they're fairly clueless as to all these things. Um, what was Denise and Charlie's marriage really like? Uh, who is Denise when she's not playing a role? Uh, what's the deal with her and Aaron? Uh, does Denise believe in his conspiracy theories or does she just kind of entertain them to make him feel better about himself? Um, is Aaron like Charlie? Like, these are all these kind of yes. questions I'm just throwing out into our H on H universe. You can answer them, come up with a new of your own, like wherever you want to go with this. Um, and of course, what might the relationship between Denise and her husband and ex-husband look like when the cameras aren't filming? Um, is there any way that we want to engage this Denise Aaron Brandy story? Um there's a lot out there. Take it wherever you want to go, Emily. What would you like to allege? And it's totally fine to be as shady as you want. Well, I would say just to like start the conversation off that there's a 0% chance that Denise's children are unaware of what has gone on in her, like her younger years. I mean, like if they haven't just Googled it themselves then their classmates are definitely telling them about it. So there's, I don't think, there's any real logic to her wanting to like shelter them. But you know, on the, on the same hand, uh, same token, like I am a little bit um, sympathetic to the fact that she doesn't want to be outwardly talking about these subjects when her kids are within earshot. I just think that she's um, taken it a little too far and has started shaming the other women. So are you team Denise Garcelle maybe dirty or like everybody else in this particular season fight? At this point, I'm team everybody else because I think it really started to get out of control. Like when she was at Kyle's barbecue and she said, you know, I, I would, I'm not going to bring my kids around you guys anymore. Like that was just pushing it over the edge, I think. So here's Casey. Did you want to ask a follow-up? Oh, um, I guess like, I'm also interested in this phenomenon of, you know, there's so much performance in how these women in Beverly Hills portray their married life on camera. But, Mm -hmm. you know, is it just maybe Denise that has a very different dynamic off camera or do you think it's the rest of the women as well? Because I I don't know. I kind of think I kind of am probably on Brandy's side or thinking that like Brandy and Denise had a relationship, if not Brandy, Denise and Aaron. And, you know, that's clearly not something that they wanted on camera. And so I, I'm, I'm wondering about maybe these dynamics of what people are, are more like when they're not being filmed too. So I definitely think there is far more marital drama than what we are exposed to. And like, sometimes we get snippets of it. So like when, Kim Richards, or was it? Yeah, it was Kim Richards, and she um, got in that big fight with Lisa Rinna where Lisa Rinna smashed her glass. That was about something involving Lisa and Harry Hamlin, right? So you know that they're. Don't talk about Harry Hamlin. Don't talk about Harry Hamlin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know that there are like things that are going on behind the scenes. Um, and, I, you know, I often think about this in the case of Erica Jane and Tom. Because, like, when Erica is around the other housewives, she's always, like, the alpha. You know, everyone is so respectful to her, and um, she really, like, commands authority. But then suddenly when she's in Tom's presence, she becomes so much more domestic. Hi, and, honey! Um, yeah, exactly. Subservient. Yeah, subservient, subservient. right. And, and he'll, you know, he'll be kind of blatantly misogynistic to her, and she just 
takes it, whereas she would never take that sort of thing among the other women. So there's definitely these dynamics that I, are getting played out off camera. I'm, I'm quite certain of it. Did you see that clip of Maurizio a little too drunk and maybe a little too high and a little too friendly with a woman at the party that they threw this last season? And Kyle, just like a couple episodes ago, and Kyle comes like rushing up and she's like, get off my husband. And like Maurizio just is like, like, like oh, like, oh, yeah, was, people was this here. A clip? Was, this, was this in the show? I don't know if it was, it was this- I don't know if it was this season actually. It was just floating around on Twitter and and it was that kind of thing of like this is something that like Kyle doesn't want people to see about her marriage, you know. Oh, that's why she didn't like Allison Dubois. Allison was right on it. Yeah. Um whatever Allison said, like um Allison was right on it. She said that um, Kyle's a little insecure about having a younger man and a very nice looking younger man. I didn't but know that Mauricio is younger than her. Uh, yes. Oh, that's that's a news Mauricio to me. fact. You don't know? Yes. I mean, I know I'm the yes. president of his fan club, but yeah, right. Not everything. So clearly. So here's my allegedly. Here's my allegedly because I'd much rather talk about Denise than um, Kyle. Here's my allegedly, and this is an allegedly. This is you know a long background of JMZ knowledge. We know that women, in this case, men and women do this. Um, we know that people often repeat the cycle of one relationship in another relationship, lest they get help, right? So I am going to say that Charlie Sheen's relationship and marriage with Denise, Denise was always trying to do damage control because his views are so out there. You know, he has two girlfriends right now. Someone just doesn't decide to be um, polyamorous. So I'm wondering if Charlie didn't get Denise involved in some things when she was married to him. Fast forward to Aaron. You know, she has a type. Fast forward to Aaron. And I completely agree that Aaron or Aaron and Denise, but really Aaron propositioned Brandy for a threesome, allegedly. And it fit the type because Denise had already been in that situation. But Denise is also trying to heal. This is all allegedly. I'm not over-identifying because I haven't been in this situation. <laughs> I've only had a younger man. That's it. Um, allegedly, I think that Denise is trying to do so much damage control from and the trauma from being married to Charlie. She can't see it with Aaron. Something's familiar, but she can't see kind of how she's replicating the trauma. So a lot of this, I didn't do this, we didn't do this, is actually damage control that's rooted in also the the um, facade she had to put up being married to Charlie Sheen. That concludes my TED Talk. I totally agree with you that she is repeating the same behaviors from her previous marriage because she hasn't completely faced them. And you can, I mean, we've already talked about this a little bit, but you can see how Erin is kind of abusive and doesn't let her express her own opinions and speaks for her. He doesn't let her be winning. He doesn't let her be winning. (laughs) I was really surprised when they're like storming out of Kyle's party. Like he gets fairly aggressive, right? Like he like clamps down on her hand to be like, no, we're done talking on camera. Right. But it was like a physical kind of aggression that I was like, ooh, that is not okay. And like, if that's what's on camera, what's off camera. Right. Uh, the other thing, go ahead. I was going to say the other thing is that, you know, Denise and Charlie have been separated for a long time now. So like, what is up with the, you you know, new court case that they had that was going on during this last season of Beverly Hills? Like you can't really tell me that Charlie Sheen is like now after like more custody or, you know, whatever. So this is all very confusing to me. And to Kelly as well. Say it, Kelly. He said it. I doesn't like to talk about Charlie Sheen, and I sympathize. Okay, that's fine. We won't talk about Charlie. Let's talk about Renna and Red Renna allegedly. So Renna is getting a lot of Twitter flack, right? A lot of Twitter flack because people feel that she became a mean girl when they were on on their trip in Rome. They felt that she put Denise on blast too much. They feel that the way she talks to Denise, and Denise even talked about it in the last episode, like, you are not treating me very well. 
I, now, I, I, thought, I thought you were doing the allegedly with like I'm about to do the allegedly okay I'm, I'm like wondering if like you've gone to the allegedly the thought you were bringing up like I'm very interested in what what you're alleging now so my allegedly isn't really an allegedly you know you know Renna as messy as she can be there are conversations sometimes you have with your friends and you're so tired of your friends bullshit that your friends are talking in front of other people and you're like but wait you were married to Charlie Sheen so I'm wondering if as much as Renna is getting just pulverized as being a mean girl I wonder if Renna is just to the point where she's sick, allegedly so sick of Denise's um, building these fairy tales around herself that Renna got self-confidence being around the other women and was and was like, no, listen, the buck stops here. So I'm just, allegedly, I'm just wondering. Less so much about, um, I'm so not interested in Denise and Charlie, Denise and Charlie, see? I'm so not interested in Denise and Aaron's relationship off screen because I can tell it's just not a good one. But I am interested in what is motivating Renna to, to come at her friend, her friends so aggressively. I wondered if you were bringing up the allegedly that fans think that Lisa Rinna and Harry Hamlin live in separate houses. But... um, Oh, I was going to say that they have an open relationship, which is why it makes it even more confusing when she's chastising um, um, she's chastising Denise. I I wonder, I mean, with your point about was she just tired of her her friend's... uh, Cover up. I want like to me. It recalls um, the icing out of Kristen on Vanderpump Rules, where like everybody else was like, "We've heard Kristen sh- spiel now for like too many years. It's not going to change. Right. Like this is like so far from any kind of reality that we have witnessed with her. Like we're not doing it anymore." Do you kind of get the feeling that that's where Renault was coming from in Rome, where she that's was finally I like, "I'm. I just want to like put this on the table in a very blunt way." Right. That's just what I'm wondering. And it's probably because I tend to be a straight shooter that, you know, if you go to the point where clearly this, this, this storyline is triggering me, you go to the point where you hear your friends in their delusions long enough or people in their delusions long enough. I mean, you know, Casey, cause you, you were my TA and Max was in a class with me. You know, I will listen and listen and listen. And then there's a point where I'm like, what are you saying? You have, you know, so I'm just wondering if Renna got to that point or if it was just simply for a storyline, like other people were saying. So my allegedly is Renna's tired of listening to Denise and that's why she, she became so hostile. I like your allegedly. I hadn't thought of it that way. What do you think, Emily? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm like a hundred percent convinced by the speculation that Aaron was the one who propositioned the three. Emily, I so appreciate this. I was kind of dancing around it. I decided to just go with Aaron to save face. What do you think is going on? Allegedly. I mean, I, I honestly haven't thought about it. I just assumed that like Emily what, was, what, was being, what was being shown on the tape was basically what was what was happening. That like Brandy and Denise got wasted. We know that Brandy is by that Denise probably had these kinds of swinger tendencies in, in her past and that something happened and that she didn't want Aaron to know about it because he would become abusive. Um, and then when it was revealed on film, there was no way for her to like keep it in the dark, but I hadn't ever thought about Aaron actually being involved in this in the first place. Like, how did you come to that conclusion? Because there was somewhere in the story or somewhere I read, it's all from Brandy Glanville. Mm-hmm. There's somewhere I read or saw, saw somewhere that it actually was originally supposed to be. I think Brandy said this the, about him, her, her getting together with the two of them. They were at a party. Um, maybe it was Kyle's party. This might have been on what, Watch What Happens Live. But there was a point where Brandy said that she was kind of propositioned by the two of them. So my I'll have to go back and check my sources. My take on this allegedly is that I'm sure that something between the three of them probably happened or was in the works to happen. But I bet Denise didn't want. Sorry, Kelly has opinions too. I think Denise 
didn't want anything to come to Aaron about like a longer tryst between her and Brandy because Aaron seems like a patriarch, right? So it's okay to bring Brandy into the bedroom if it's like for the three of them, but like not okay for Denise to have her own separate relationship ongoing. It's for Aaron's from from Aaron's perspective, right? So that's why Denise doesn't want it out that like her and Brandy had an ongoing relationship. Because I think for her, she knew that she had to manipulate it in a particular kind of way for it to be acceptable for her for her, for her partner. When, but that's, my, that's my take was, on it. So when Brandy was revealing all of this stuff, why wouldn't she have included that part as well? I don't think that... She really made it seem like it was just like a one-time thing. Oh, no, we're going to get there. We're going to get there the dinner... Well, by the time this airs, we'll already be there. By the time this aired, um, I think that it might have been potentially like a discussion in works that hadn't quite unfolded all the way, perhaps. Well, uh, allegedly, next next week's episode at the dinner party, Brandy tells all the details. So we actually don't have all the information yet. Well, so maybe that can be our cliffhanger. That's our cliffhanger. <laughs> and by the time this airs, our listeners will know like how off or how like on we were in our assumptions. <laughs> and they can then, you know, make comments on Twitters and, you know, publicly shame us. Please don't do that. <laughs> so, Emily, Tell us what's next for you and what you want people to know about your upcoming work. How can they get in touch with you if they want to know more? So I am working on a book that is tentatively titled Needled, colon, How Acupuncture Became Alternative. (laughs) And so that's what I'm, I'm working on now. And if people want to get in touch, they can either email me, that's emily.baum at uci.edu, or they can follow me on Twitter at emilybaumuci. Thank you so much for recording with us today. We really enjoyed having you on. Thanks. This was super fun. And uh, if you want me to become the Dr. Oz of the show, I would be more than happy to take on that label. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We would love that. Official place in the H on H universe. As always, you can find us at historiansonhousewives.com, where you can propose your own episode topic, ask us questions, and send us feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at historiansh. We also have new merchandise on Cafe Press, uh, which you can get to from our website on our merch tab. Or you can find us on Zazzle under the shop Bravo Scholars. And don't forget, you can like and review the podcast on your podcast platform. Thank you, Emily Baum. This show is brought to you with the support by Barbara and Mark Spear, Saddleback Community College, Molly Callahan, Dr. Joaquin Galarza, Courtney Crow, Lara Loper, Kim Bettendorf, Luis Asio de Dios and the Ajipong Foundation. And remember, scholars do bravo too. It'll 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 be, it'll be so minor. I was really proud of my little uh, merch improv. I could not have improved <laughs> that even a month ago. Okay. Um, let me just make sure I pressed send. Let me post end our responses. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.